to those you've gotten so far. And uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, Darwin Jordan, uh, pastor of, of the church here, and <clears throat> very glad to have you here if you're visiting with us. We actually are at the very end of a study we've been doing on the Lord's Prayer. And this morning is a, uh, basically it's going to be a summary of some of the things we've talked about in the Lord's Prayer, an overview of the Lord's Prayer. But you may wonder, what about that last phrase? If you back up to page uh, Oh, they're stuck together. I'm sorry. (laughs) I saw it and then it disappeared. Uh, The Lord's Prayer on page four. This last phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Has been a part traditionally of the Lord's Prayer since early centuries, but actually is not, we think, a part of the original prayer in Matthew, though it's certainly biblical and it certainly expresses uh, totally biblical ideas, and it's very useful in terms of rounding out the Lord's Prayer. If you would like to read just a little bit about it, I have a half sheet on the table out there that you can get on your way out. Uh, but I just wanted to give an apology, so to speak, uh, for why I'm not dealing with that phrase in, in particular, but rather looking at the whole of the prayer as we uh, conclude this morning. So. With that in mind, let's pray and ask God's blessing for our study together. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, that you would encourage us in prayer, that you would make us people of prayer, not just, and indeed, for sure, to be disciplined in prayer, to to, to persevere in prayer, to be alert in prayer, as Paul tells us, but Lord, as well, to have a passion for prayer and a joy in prayer for prayer, for us to long for prayer, to be eager for prayer, to be sometimes long in prayer because we just, we lose ourselves in prayer. Lord, make us, make us have this kind of desire for you and a desire to do good in this world, desire to promote your interest and your purpose and mission in this world, that we, we really engage in prayer, uh, So in that holistic way, we continue to ask that you would make us, Lord, a people of prayer. We ask this for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. So as we've said before, prayer is just plain difficult. It's it's really hard for most everybody. Why do we find it so difficult and why... How can we make progress in prayer? I hope to try to answer that in some way this morning. So, as I said, this is going to be a a summary, not only about this prayer, but a summary of prayer in general. Um, And I hope to show, uh, as well as promoting prayer in your life, to show that this is really the most fierce and critical clash of our whole spiritual warfare, is prayer. So much hinges on prayer in God's economy, in God's providence. I believe that God has planned to do great things in this world because God has planned for his people to pray great prayers in this world. 
And the two are inseparable. And this throws out right before we get into the outline, we need grace to pray. We need grace to pray. Always remind yourself of this. As you feel your weakness, as you feel your resistance, as you feel your lack of energy for it and lack of desire for it, it's just a reminder, oh Lord, I need your grace to pray. I'm helpless to really pray as I ought, to pray with joy and eagerness and and relish. Lord, I depend upon you to enable me to pray. Always be seeking his grace, even as you begin to pray, to pray in a helpless state, you see. We talked about this in Sunday school in Ephesians 6, when Paul says, praying always in the Spirit, which is a recognition. I can't pray apart from the Spirit. I can't pray apart from the Almighty God in, through the Spirit to enable me and equip me and strengthen me for prayer. Always, we must have this uh, grace. We know our weakness. We, we know our own indifference. We know how easily we are distracted. We know how discouraged we can be. Ask for his grace constantly to pray. So it's kind of a, a circle there, right? We, we need to pray. We need to ask grace for, to prayer. So in a sense, always our first prayer, our constant prayer, Lord, enable us, enable us to pray. So this morning is very simple in your outline. Uh, two primary aspects of prayer which kind of divide the uh, Lord's Prayer into its two parts. Adore God and trust God. The first uh, petitions have to do with adoring God and, and being concerned about His mission and His purposes. And the latter part more of entrusting our life to Him. Trusting Him for the things that we need. So first, as we look at them together as these two aspects, I want to, I hope that you will constantly enliven your prayers, your supplications, your petitions with adoration. We talked about this. This is a reminder. We must see both God's profound glory and beauty in prayer and be reminded and know our profound need in prayer as well. To see his magnificence and supremacy, but also to see our profound helplessness, our utter poverty. And I would suggest that sometimes we arrive at neither one. You know, to have a tremendous sense and refreshment in who God is and what he's done and, and, and to, to truly be amazed at God and then also to feel deeply how utterly helpless I am to do any good at all and to pray out of that mindset, both of those, to pray with my heart filled of who God is and well aware of how much I need that God. That's what the, these two parts of prayer uh, have h- how they they draw together. So as and, and as a part of our need, as we're going to see, we have to see the greatness of our struggle against darkness, the the critical nature of it, the danger of it, the formidable foes we face in our spiritual enemies. We talked about some of this last week, but at the same time, to ever increase our vision of the unlimited resources we have 
through Jesus Christ. And so we need the spirit to perceive who God is, to perceive what our need is, to see reality in the situation. So that's a little bit. And we'll continue to see how these relate to each other. But the first section begins, of course, with our Father who is in heaven. So we adore him as the one who loves us. We adore him as the one who has all power. And then we plunge into all of his concerns, his glory, his kingdom, his glory or his name, his beauty, his kingdom, his will to be done. And you see, by giving a priority to your name and kingdom and will, this sets the stage for us to ask for our things. It prepares us to ask for the things we need. It builds faith. It builds expectation as we are amazed at who this God is. And we bring that into our prayers for ourselves. It also reorients our lives and shapes our perspectives and desires even as we go to pray about our desires and pray about our needs. The very purpose and motivation and direction of our prayers is transformed continually as we are amazed at who God is. So even what we pray for and how we pray for it in terms of petitions are affected through our adoration, through adoring God. Adoring God is critical to all prayer. There really cannot be true prayer unless there's adoration and admiration for God that enables us to trust him and expect him to do great things for us. Because we are utterly convinced of his greatness and goodness. You can see how that changes your first request, right? Either you pray to a God that you see in that way or you don't. And the adoration permeates all of our prayers for our things. It brings his glory and his majesty and his sovereignty into those things. We are shining God's capacity and goodness into all of our concerns and the concerns of our church and the concerns of this world. We come to our concerns fresh from majestic views of God and full of the purpose and mission of God. It's a different way to enter into your requests when you're enriched by who God is and what God is about in this world. And so it makes what we may think is our small things, and nothing really is small in our life. Everything is big. Everything is important to God. But all the more, it makes our small things become a part of the giant things. Right? Connected to who God is and what he's doing in this world. These become vital as as they are united to what God is and what God is doing. They're conditioned by those things. So some of that uh, relationship of the two is so important to see. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, that Jesus sets this forth when he says... Pray in this way. The disciples came and asked him, uh, 
in, in Luke's form of this. How do we pray? John taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? When you pray, say this. Or in Matthew, say it in this way. Pretty careful. And the order seems to be really vital and important. Now, he begins by talking about his name. And this, the name is really the outshining of all that God is, right? It's the outshining of all of his beauty, especially as, is, as it is seen in Jesus Christ. His name is made known mostly, primarily through the person of Jesus Christ. And the idea of being concerned about his name and his kingdom and his will is to be passionate for these things, to so take pleasure in who God is, to delight in him, that I'm as passionate for those things as I am, frankly, many times for my daily bread. See, I remember uh, my first passionate prayer. And I'm saying this was a wrong prayer, although I, I really wasn't a believer. I didn't understand faith in Jesus Christ and Christ had died for my sins or anything like that. I did have a notion of God. I was mainly scared of God. And uh, we had these two Siamese cats, uh, Smutty and Tinkerbell. I still remember their names. And uh, I prided myself in helping Tinkerbell give birth to her five babies one time in the uh, closet of my dad's bathroom. Of course, she didn't need my help. Um, but just that I was there, I thought somehow I was the midwife, you know, this <laughs> female Siamese cat. <clears throat> um, and so we had the five babies, and they were just amazing, you know. And we have pictures galore of all these uh, events. But then one day, a couple of years later, my mom, and it was no fault of hers, backed over Tinkerbell. And we rushed her to the doctor, and I'll never forget falling in the floorboard of my car and just crying out to God, crying out to God. Probably the first time I ever got emotional in prayer, asking him to save Tinkerbell. Well, she wasn't saved, (laughs) if you think that's a bad ending of the story. But maybe this good ending of the story is that God has, over the years, enabled me Sometimes, at least, to have that same passion for his glory, same passion for his name and his kingdom and his will as I had at that point. And that might be a challenge to say the passion, and it's not wrong to have that passion for your daily bread. Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, right? But how many times do we have that same aching and longing and hoping for those things to be accomplished in this world that we sometimes do for our our own things. And so that's one thing Jesus is calling us to. This freedom of being lost in things that are outside of you, that are not you, but God. The expansion of your life So that it's not just me, Darwin. So that I'm living in some kind of spiritual mental box that's so small, I can't even sit in it. It's this being able to forget myself, the richness of the vision of God and His beauty. The sky is the limit to what God is and what He wants to do. 
So I'm not looking within myself, but I'm looking out of myself into him. And this being self-forgetful is what sets you free from so many things. It's also what promotes you to be self-forgetful toward other people as well. When you forget yourself in the beauty of God. So Jesus would have us do this. He would have us not just pray these things, but long for these things, ache for these things, be passionate for God's glory to be made known, his name to be made known, his kingdom to be advanced. And when we think of kingdom, kingdom basically means God's reign, and we're praying that he would reign more and more in us as a church, and he would reign more and more in each of our lives, and his reign would extend to more and more people, and he would use us as we are part of his kingdom to impact others and to draw others and to influence others, that light and fruitfulness and shalom and righteousness will flow out of our church into other people's lives. We ache for that to happen, right? We, we pray, oh Lord, Extend your kingdom, your sweet reign. May other people who don't know the blessedness of of giving themselves to King Jesus know that happiness. We are like a forest or or like a a beautiful field that's got beautiful plants. And we're, we're moving into the desert. That's the kingdom of God. Praying that the kingdom of God would extend itself. Our fruitfulness and our blessing will push into others. And actually, many commentators point out that Revelation 22, when it talks about the stream flowing in the trees of life on either side that we see in the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, it's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. But as so many things in Revelation, it's a call for us to create that even now. You know, to be that river, as Jesus said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, that we are to be the living water that flows out to the nations even now in anticipation of that final day. How wonderful that we could be a part of that, that we could give foretaste and glimpses of the new creation in the way we are extending the kingdom of God. So, interesting how when we manifest his goodness in this way, how much it exalts his name. You can see how those are intertwined. The beauty of God through the Lord Jesus Christ extending his reign because people willingly give themselves up to his will because they see the love of Jesus. It's interesting how Paul deals with this in 2 Corinthians. He talks about how the love of God controls us. The love of Christ controls us. And he talks about how we no longer live for ourselves, which we used to. But now we live for the Lord who died for us, who gave himself for us, who loved us and gave himself for us. So you see, seeing the goodness, seeing the beauty of his name, the love shown in Jesus Christ, we long to give ourselves into the care of this king, under the lordship of this king, to do the will of this king. We, we recognize that his will is our blessedness and our happiness and the happiness of those around us. 
if we do his will. And so I like the contrast in the sower and the seed as Jesus talks about the last seed, the the first seed, the seed never takes fruit for one reason or another in the four plots of ground in the first three plots it doesn't take root. We won't go into detail, but in the final uh, plot of ground where the seed is sown, the seed is the word of God, it takes root and it bears fruit. And, and Jesus says there it is, uh, they hold the word with fastness and they bear fruit. So to do his will is to hold his word Fat with fastness to see the beauty and goodness of God and to want to give ourselves up to him. And this fruitfulness of doing his will, this abundance of doing his will, brothers and sisters, the more you give yourself up to his will, the more you are a benediction to people around you. The more you become a benediction in this world. Because to do his will is to Walk in his love as he has loved you. So you can see the the relationship of these three things. His beauty is made known. We want to give ourselves into his lordship and become a part of his kingdom. And we want to do his will, which in the end ends up walking in love as he has loved us. What a glorious three prayers. So much to, to be caught up in. As you pray for Fort Worth Press, as you pray for the church worldwide, lose yourself. Lose yourself in adoration. Lose yourself in the purposes of God. May God make us passionate for his name and his kingdom and his will. And then we trust him. Trust comes natural if you adore the one you trust, right? You adore him, and to that end, you, you trust him. You, you won't really trust him unless you adore him, unless you admire him, unless you see his greatness and his goodness and his love and his righteousness and his perfections, and you're drawn to him. Will you trust him and then, of course, walk in his will? <clears throat> I'll touch on forgiveness first. <clears throat> you know, it can't be in the end Look, I'll do my part. I'll forgive others. And then you do your part. You forgive me. Right? Now forgive. <clears throat> Basically, this is a prayer. Forgive me and continue to enable me to live out that forgiveness. Allow the richness of your forgiveness to flow into all parts of my life that I continue to forgive. Enable that I will so deeply and gladly embrace your forgiveness. I will be so in awe of it and amazed by it and overjoyed by it that I will in turn be transformed and give that same forgiveness to others. Make me like yourself. Forgive me as I forgive others. And you see here again... Until we, as we continue to adore him and see his love, that's what enables us to love others and indeed to forgive others. Adoration is essential to our love for others. Because a vital part of adoration is recognizing his love for us in Christ and admiring him for that. 
We love because he first loved us. Adoration precedes love. Adoration is a vital fuel, a vital part of love. But I want to talk a little more about the idea of this daily bread. I I see the whole of the Lord's Prayer praying for things that are absolutely solid and sure because God has promised them to do these things spiritually for us, except this one, which is in some ways provisional. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I would say everything is promised without any qualification. Maybe you could say the only qualification is that he will progressively give us deliverance over evil, not perfectly. Uh, He will progressively enable us to forgive more and more. He will grow us in grace in that sense. But as to believing that he will give those specific things to us, it's... These, these are the very things Jesus died to bring about in our lives. These are the sure things he's going to do for his people. But daily bread, that is physical well-being, is in a bit different category. And I want to talk about that some. I would say that this is partially, and you might say most of the time, answered in this life. But it is provisional because we only have to think of things like Paul asking in 1 Thessalonians 3 to be protected from evil men. And yet toward the end of his life, we see Paul is imprisoned by evil men and he's eventually put to death by evil men. We see Peter delivered from prison in Acts, but James earlier was not delivered. He was put to death. How was the Lord's Prayer answer for James? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, not only did he not get daily bread, his whole life was taken away from him. And you can see for all of us, there is a limit to that prayer. Sooner or later, we will all succumb to sickness and death. So it's not always in every case you will continue to live forever, which basically this is a prayer for life. It's a prayer that he will give me physical sustenance. He will, and then he will give me other things surrounded with that. Maybe some things that I feel like I need at this time. I'm not sure if I need them, but I'm, I'm going to bring it before God. And there are profound instances of God's supply. You read the accounts of George Mueller and the amazing foodstuffs and monies that came to his orphanage. Uh, It is just amazing to read of what God did for that. And you have just a bit later in Matthew 6, Jesus promised. He says he takes care of the Flowers, he takes care of the birds. How's he not going to take care of you? That's not to discourage his care. That's to encourage his care. So everything leans toward God will supply all of your need in Christ Jesus, as Paul says to the Philippians. But you could say this, he will supply all your needs until it is time for sickness or loss or death. 
And sometimes it is time for those things. Sometimes that's what we face. And so I would say the overall plan of God is primarily concerned with the first three petitions and for the spiritual aspects of our lives, even contained in the second one. But we also have the promise of trials. All will absolutely not go well for you as a Christian. How do you you put that up with these other requests? You are going to face trials. You are going to face difficulties. The Hebrews lost their position, their possessions, uh, because they were trying to visit their brothers and sisters in prison and were associated with them. They prayed for daily bread, yet their possessions are taken away. The Jews in and around Jerusalem could be praying this, but they were stricken with poverty because of persecution. And the churches around the Mediterranean basin had to supply their need. Here is some of what this means, I think, is that God is so concerned with the spiritual in our lives, we have to take the physical in our lives and hold it with an open hand and be most and primarily concerned about the spiritual in our lives because that God promises to do. Take James 1, for instance. As you face various trials, and this would mean losses, maybe of possessions, of freedom, of whatever may be happening to them, as you face these trials, count it all joy. Why? Because there is spiritual good being done to you in the midst of these trials. So I've said it this way many times, Lord, I pray for your name and your kingdom and your will to be done. And in so much as those things will be promoted in my life, I pray that you would supply my daily bread. You would give me the comforts of life. You would give me relationships. You would make things, you know, turn out well in all of these cases. In so much as it promotes your spiritual interests in my life. So... There's this temporal priority with God for our spiritual well-being. At the same time, don't think God is unconcerned about your physical well-being because he will answer all those prayers to the max in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, So there's a temporary primary concern with our spiritual good that may mean at times our physical good is sacrificed, but never our spiritual good. And that's the way we must always interpret these calamitous things that sometimes hit us, that come upon us, that cripple us almost emotionally, that are so difficult we hardly know how to handle them. But it's not, when God is handing out those providences, it comes with the same devoted love with which he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devoted love has this primary concern that you grow and become more like Christ and you know Christ more and you depend upon Christ more and and, and manifest his own life. But the fact that Jesus became a human being and he died in its body and he was raised in that body 
to bring our physical humanity into its resurrected life shows he is not unconcerned about your physical life. Sometimes it can feel that way. You don't even care what I'm going through. You don't even care this physical thing that's come upon me. Oh, he cares infinitely. And his final goal is for you to be absolutely perfect and all sickness and pain and difficulty be removed from you forever. It's just a timing issue, right? It's a timing issue. He's not unconcerned about your physical well-being, but he has a primary concern for your growth in grace. And in the end, when the earth itself undergoes its own resurrection and is renewed, he achieves his final purpose for your body and your well-being. And so this life is this amazing mixture as we find ourselves adoring and yet we find ourselves often in such tremendous need of one kind or another, such tremendous difficulty. It's a wonderful life, but it's a life of groaning. And neither one is ever absolutely absent from our life. We cry how long, and yet we rejoice always. Even heaven has both of those things as they rejoice in Christ, and they pray how long. Life can be tedious and exhilarating, and sometimes in the same day. We have a fear of the future, and there's a war with anxiety or depression, or we're out of work, we have these periods of sickness, we have days that just seem so long, and yet, in the midst of it, there's anticipation and hope and indescribable joy, as Peter describes it in chapter 1. Paul uses the same basic word, be anxious for nothing. And yet he says, I'm daily pressured with anxiety about the churches. This amazing mixture. I've said so many times when people say, what's going on at your church? And I quote the Clint Eastwood movie, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Not you all, I'm saying me, that's me. I'm the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have to live with it. And I live with your good and bad and ugly. All right? I would add beauty to good, bad, ugly, and beauty. (laughs) Because God continually makes you more and more beautiful before my eyes. It's a wonderful thing to see. So, it is warfare, prayer, is war, brothers and sisters. It is war. Even from the beginning, we were made to pit ourselves against something. After all, we were to subdue the whole earth with the dragon biting at our heels. Satan was there in the, in the garden. We have the command to subdue the earth, and Satan is present. Maybe we were made for warfare. Maybe we're made to flourish in warfare. To be excited maybe for our warfare. And to realize that prayer is war. I want to quote John Piper here. Very few people think that we are now in a war greater than World War II. And greater than any imaginable nuclear World War III. 
or that Satan is a much worse enemy than communism or militant Islam, or that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater, but is in every town and city in the world, or that the casualties do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life, but lose everything, even their own soul, and enter a hell of everlasting torment. And that's why he, as you probably know, calls prayer a walkie-talkie for military endeavors, for warfare. Not an intercom to ask the maid to bring in more Coke and chip and dip, right? It's war. We, by God's grace, hurl ourselves against the walls of evil and the fiery darts and the assaults of the evil one. We assault him. And I like to think of prayer in a way as, as uh, Frodo going to the mountain and dropping the ring in the fire. That just undoes Sauron. You want to get at the root of his power. You want to, to undermine the enemy. It's prayer, brothers and sisters. It's prayer. Let's call upon the greatness of our God, realizing our helplessness in the greatness of our warfare. Let us give ourselves to prayer. May God give us grace to pray. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for calling us to a life of fellowship with you, calling us to a life of, Lord, resting in you, and a life of adoring you and admiring you, a life of joy in who you are. Oh, Lord, as we feel our helplessness, may it be melted in the sense of our confidence of who you are and what you will do for your people. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we will adore you and trust you for your namesake. Amen.